0: All right, continuing our study through Paul's letter to the Romans, in this session we will be looking at Romans chapter 6 verses 12 through 14. It's a short section, but a terribly important section for living as a disciple of Jesus. So let's set the context. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 11 describes who we are based on God's work in us in Christ. Baptism publicly displays and embodies this new work. It shows that we've changed allegiance and we've moved into Christ. And so we're not who we used to be anymore. We have become somebody totally new. We're alive to God now in a way we weren't before. And we're dead to sin. What Paul is saying in essence is we've changed kingdoms. We have a new solidarity. We have a brand new identity. We're in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. And this body, what he calls the body of sin, which was so easily corrupted and susceptible and dominated by sin, well, it's been canceled as the ruling power. And as a result, we're no longer have to be slaves to sin anymore. That's just not who we are. We're no longer slaves to sin. He's not our master anymore. These are the new facts that we must know about ourselves. Now, knowing these new facts, Paul said in verse 11, we have to count these things so, right? We have to reckon them so. We have to think about ourselves uh, this way. These facts must be recognized as our facts, what is true about us. And so with resolute determination, we disassociate ourselves from our old identity, from our old self. We no longer listen to him or to sin as sin tries to call out our name. And that's the point Paul is going to make here in verses 12 through 14. This is who you are, he says, so live like it. In other words, live who you are. And that is consistently the way New Testament ethics plays out. It's not live this way so you can really be a follower of Jesus. Now that you're a child of God, now that you're a new creation in Christ, or in the context of Romans 6, now that you're dead, to sin and alive to God, live like it. Live out who God has made you. So chapter 6, verse 12 picks up with therefore. Therefore, let's draw an implication. Let's draw a conclusion from these new facts about you, therefore, live like this. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its desires. And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Notice the way this section begins. Do not let sin reign. Reign is from that same word as king or kingdom, basileuo in Greek. It's the same word that Paul used in chapter 5, verse 21, where sin reigned leading to death. So sin used to reign over you, but not anymore. Now grace reigns over you because you've changed kingdoms, so don't let sin reign anymore. Now that's really, really important to pay attention to and to think through the implications of what he just said. Paul said in chapter 6, 1 through 11, that you've died to sin. I've died to sin. Here he says, don't let sin reign. So let's think this through. If sin can still reign, that means sin is not dead. So whereas you died to sin, sin has not died. Sin is still alive and well and at work on planet Earth. It's just that our relationship with it is fundamentally different, fundamentally changed. We're dead to sin, even though sin itself is not dead. dead. And therefore, we have to make sure we don't let sin reign in our mortal body. And notice he says that. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Again, it's this kind of language that we see all throughout chapter 6 and 7 that suggests to me that phrase body of sin in chapter 6 verse 6 has to in some way include our physical body. Not because the physical body in and of itself is bad, but because the physical body has in some way been corrupted by and co-opted by sin and thus now is very susceptible to sinning. And so Paul says you got to make sure that doesn't happen. So don't let sin reign. Sin still at work in this world. So you be vigilant. You be on guard. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Indeed, Paul goes further here and says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its lusts. The word for lusts is literally just desires. Usually we use the word lust only to refer to sexual lusts, but this word is just desire in general. So don't don't uh, obey sinful desires in whatever form or fashion they take. That's the idea. Think of it this way. Since sin isn't our boss anymore, we don't have to take orders or instructions from him anymore. We have a new boss and we don't have to be bossed around by sin anymore. In fact, that imagery of a slave and master or boss and employee is going to show up in full force at the end of chapter 6. So we'll deal with it more fully there. But that's the idea. Don't let sin boss you around anymore. Don't let it rain anymore because it's not in charge anymore. To let it rain is to live a lie. In verse 13, Paul really is dealing with how do we do this? How do we not let sin rain uh, in our mortal body anymore and what Paul says is this he says in order to break the rule and reign of sin in your life you have to rearrange your lifestyle you have to rearrange what what you concretely do with your body so verse 13 says do not go go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness so the picture is really again in the background that he'll take up full force later is this idea of, say, a servant or a slave or in our context, an employee offering himself for service to, a, to his master, to his boss. Right. So you're presenting or you're offering yourself for service. And so Paul says, well, don't let sin reign in your mortal body and don't go on presenting the members of your body or the parts of your body to sin as tools or instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, there are things you are no longer going to do because doing them in some way uh, presents yourself to sin to carry out his bidding. And that's just not who you are anymore, so you're just not going to do that, right? And so he tells us, don't present uh, uh, the parts of our body to sin. Rather, he says... Since you're a new person now and you have a new identity and you're alive to God now, instead, the second half of verse 13, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. So offer yourself, your whole self. Every part of you offer yourself to God as those alive from the dead, because that's who you are, right? You've experienced this death, burial, and resurrection. That's the new facts about you. You're living out your new identity. So now you're offering yourself to God. God, here I am. Here's my life. Here's my body. Here's my time. Here's my energy. I am yours and I will do your bidding. And so you're offering yourself to God to do his bidding and your members, i.e. the members of your body that he just mentioned in the first half of verse 13. So and your members, the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice how down to earth what Paul just said is in verse 13, that there are certain things you're no longer going to do with your body. There's certain places you're no longer going to go. There's certain things you're no longer going to read or watch or listen to because to do that would be in some concrete, tangible way, offering yourself to sin. It would stir up sinful desires within you and make you more likely to sin. So you're not going to do those things or listen to those things or read those things or watch those things because you're not going to present yourself to sin in that way. But on the flip side, you're going to present yourself to God. How are you going to do that? By offering the parts of your body to him for his bidding, for his service as tools, instruments, Of righteousness to God, right? And so we now rearrange our life to live out who God has made us in Christ. By his grace, he has ended our relationship with sin. He's made us alive to himself through Christ. And so this whole rearranging of our life is made possible by God and his grace. It's just a matter of living out by his grace and with his help, who he has made us to be. And so the entire way our life is organized now must change to live out this new identity. In fact, I would even go so far as to say, based on what Paul says here, that this rearranging of our life is not necessarily even at the point of obedience or disobedience per se, but at the point of presenting ourselves to who or what we will obey, right? Like he tells us to present ourselves to God and not present ourselves to sin. Like don't even make it easy for sin to bark out orders or call your name. Instead, you're offering yourself to God. And so this rearranging of our life is at the point of presenting Uh, our life to God. It's the earlier step of severing ties with and creating distance between ourselves and our former boss, who was abusive and bad and toxic for us, i.e. sin, and now rearranging our life to listen to and to follow the instructions of our new boss, namely God himself in Christ. That's the point. Um, As Dallas Willard said, is In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, we consciously direct our bodies in a manner that will ensure that it will eventually come to automatically serve God and righteousness just as it once served sin automatically. We rearrange our life unto that end. And then in verse 14, Paul reiterates the basic point about sin not being in charge, but introduces the element of law, saying that the reason this is possible is because we're now under grace, not under the Old Testament law, and then that idea of law will be explained more fully, particularly in chapter 7. So verse 14 says, for, again, explanatory, sin shall not be master over you. It's not going to reign over you. It's not going to be in charge. That's not who you are. Why not? Well, you're not under the law, but under grace. And when he says, you are not under the law, he means the Old Testament law, because he's already brought that up at the end of chapter five, right? And he's going to be playing off this idea how the law couldn't free us from sin. The law somehow unwittingly became an accomplice to sin. And Paul will explain how all that happened in chapter seven. But for now, he just wants to restate the idea that sin's not going to be master over you because you're not under the law. You're actually under grace, and grace reigns now, and it enables you to live a new kind of life. All right, and so the major implication of this short little section is that we need to intentionally do things different to nullify sin's reign over our life and in our bodies, which means we need to do things different, concrete bodily action, right, like to actualize God's reign over our lives and over our bodies. And so we have to rearrange what we concretely do in our life. We can't just hope to go on with life as normal and think we can live out our new identity. We actually have to concretely, tangibly, intentionally rearrange and reorganize our life so that we're offering ourselves to God and doing different things with our body This really boils down to what has historically been called the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, things like Bible reading, praying, scripture memory, things like fasting or service or worship. Concrete bodily actions that are a way of creating space in our life for God and are a way of intentionally offering ourselves to God so that God can enter into our life and give us new power and new strength and retrain our body to respond to His instructions, just like our body used to so easily respond to sin's instructions. And so, in response to this text, You should evaluate your life and say, are there ways I need to reorganize my life to avoid sin, avoid temptation, avoid presenting myself to sin and making it easy for me to have temptation stirred up in me? And are there things I need to put in place in my life that will really offer my life to God and create space in my life, space in my day, space in my week? for God to be a part of my life. Hi, friends. It's John. And as many of you know, the Listener's Commentary is an entirely crowdfunded endeavor. And I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who give to support this project, whether you give $5, whether you give $50, $100, whatever you give, it's all incredibly helpful. So thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to support this project, just go to thelistenerscommentary.com, click give, and you can support right through there. God bless and thank you so much.